Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast, your weekly dose of all things football tactics and coaching related. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and we have another exciting episode for you all today, albeit different. The World Cup has already rolled around, which will be the second men's World Cup in the lifespan of TFA. And while club football is still going on for the next week, this episode will be a deep dive looking at all the teams who will be vying for the greatest prize in football. Normally, we love to get guests on the podcast who are coaches, analysts, managers, specialists, directors, and scouts to walk you through how football looks behind the curtain. However, in this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by TFA's very own analysts, the incredible writers who helped put together our November magazine, which is an ode to the Qatar World Cup, a 299-page guide of each and every single nation that will be represented at the competition. We urge you to buy the magazine if you want to find out the tactics of every manager, their potential prospects in the tournament, key players and predicted 11s from some of the most talented football tactics writers on the planet, as well as looking at the artwork of the wonderfully talented Jamie Brackpill, which is worth the price alone. For just €5.99, you can get access to everything and have a complete World Cup guide right at the click of a button, which is the same amount you would pay for a pint on a night out. You don't want to miss this in what is our biggest collective project yet, and I know you will all absolutely love it. Please give us a five-star rating of your choice on the choice of your audio platform. It truly helps us grow and share the podcast around on your social media sites or my family too if you enjoy the episode. So without further ado, let's go speak to some TFA analysts to tactically preview the greatest competition in sport. I am delighted to be joined today by our very own TFA writers, David Astille, Brandon Liss, Alfie Pearson and my compatriot, Fintan O'Reilly. Let's jump straight into proceedings then, starting with Group A and the hosts, Qatar. The opening game on November 20 features Qatar and Ecuador, which is, to my knowledge, the most lacklustre opening game of a World Cup in, well, in four years since Russia and Saudi Arabia. Alfie, Felix Sanchez is at the helm of Qatar. They won the Asian Cup, if I'm not mistaken, in 2019, if that's right. Republic of Ireland played to get twice against Qatar. Especially in the fourth game, I was very impressed by their, their their playing out from the back and they were very a possession-based team. Obviously, Felix Sanchez came from the Barcelona Academy. They had players that worked under Xavi at Al Sadd as well. Do you think they can progress out of knockout phase in their fourth ever World Cup, albeit on a technicality that they are the hosts? Do I think they can? Straight up, no. To be honest, nations generally do have success when hosting the, the FIFA World Cup. Six of the eight champions have won it on home soil. Uh, only South Africa in 2010 didn't get out of the group stage. And sadly, I expect the same from Qatar. Netherlands are unbeaten in 15. Senegal are the reigning Afghan champions. And Ecuador are quite exciting. So it's going to be a really big challenge. They do have consistency on the side, as you said, with Felix Sanchez. He's been there a few years. The same system, 5-3-2. They've all come through the Aspire Academy. He was there. Uh, lots of the team played with Al-Sad, there's a strong connection there with Xavi as well. And out of the starting 11, or what we predict to be the starting 11, they registered over a 1,000 appearances between them, and the average was 92 caps. So four of the predicted starters have over 100 caps, and the captain is the most capped, Hassan al Haidos with 165. So the 5-3-2, the front two are the best two players, Akram Afif and Almo is Ali. Afif has a lot more freedom in rest attack because they tend to sit back quite a lot. In rest attack, he's free to just drift wherever he likes. Um, mainly towards the left, that's where he prefers, whereas Ali is centrally. He can be a bit isolated at times, but he's got a decent first touch to receive the ball and can make play well. But yeah, Afif, he's the main man. He's in the middle of everything, all their attacks. He's stood over the set pieces. You'll see him with his afro. He does stand out instantly. Um, but counter-attacks are definitely where they're going to have the most success, threatening in transition. Best example of that, FIFA RL quarterfinals, they beat UAE 5-0, 5-0 at half-time with 25% possession. Four of the five goals were scored within 10 seconds of regaining possession. So you get a picture instantly of just committing the men forwards and just, just transitional threat. Out of possession, absorbing the pressure, and then, kind of after limiting the openings and getting the space in and around the defensive line, just stopping that, then can we get forwards? They do concede space in the deeper areas, so Netherlands with Daily Blint can probably penetrate well if they don't play five at the back. Netherlands probably will, but if, if I go with a four and he's at left back, I can definitely do something there. Same with Ake. 
Uh, Ecuador have a few decent players in fullback back can uh, progress the ball. Uh, and yeah, there's Moises Casado in the midfield as well, and I'm sure everyone will. Well, he's the standout for Ecuador to ever be watching. I think. He definitely. Is. Recently yeah. in the reports, Brighton slapped something like a, an 85 million price tag on him when he could have been bought for four and a half million only January 2021, which is incredible, showing his progress from Independiente del Valle up to 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 Brighton's first team, which is incredible. Finton, we'll jump to Senegal then before we talk about the Netherlands. You wrote nice. about Senegal for your you, the TFA magazine this month. Ali Ossisse is still in charge. And he is. The, I remember the last World Cup, they were quite impressive, although I don't think they made it out of the group phase. Will they make it this time in a much easier group, I want to say? I'd agree with you, and I think so. I feel like they have a good chance. I feel like they're a very hipstery kind of choice in that they have a lot of good players and they have a good team, but they're not one who you traditionally think, oh, yeah, they're going to go far. You think more the Netherlands or, I don't know, whoever else, Brazil, Argentina, those kinds. But um, I think I think Senegal have a good chance even to get as far as the quarterfinals, really, to be honest. I, I, I feel pretty high on them at the moment anyway. In fairness, they don't play very expansively, I'd say. They're very, uh, not far off what you were describing there, um, Alfie, with Qatar. They will defend deep and they will look to play in transition a lot, but they have a lot of quality in transition then. That's where their strengths are. With If they can get the ball to Mane or Sar uh, in, in the wings, they're going to cause problems as well. Um, their midfield is very combative as well, in fairness. They've got the two uh, Idris Agay and, and Papagay. And uh, I guess Yes, Nampalis Mendy. I know he's not the most, he doesn't get a lot of minutes at club level, but Cissé uh, seems to love him. So I guess he will still be in the team, but they have a strong midfield like that. So I feel like they'll play pretty well in fairness. But yeah, again, they weren't, they're not going to be, I guess, the most stylish team, I'd say. They'll be scrappy enough, I suppose. But I think it'll be a scrappy group in fairness. I don't know what you guys think. But yeah, I'm not feeling like it'll be the most entertaining group in terms of football quality. But there will be a lot of, uh, I don't know, dogfights in there, I feel, which will be good to, to watch as well. Well, I mean, the obvious candidates to top the group are the Netherlands under Louis van Gaal. It's his last, well, we said when he won the FA Cup in 2016. <laughs> that would be we his last. We keep saying that. Yeah, we keep saying he keeps coming back. But this should be his last ever time in working in football. What a way to bow out winning the Netherlands their first ever World Cup. Just, I just brought oh. one point on Qatar, which I just wanted to throw to Alfie. So everything you said on Qatar about, you know, all their style of play and everything, you, you said, you know, you, you don't have high hopes for them to, to get that far. Do you think they're going to win a match? So, being Just honest, everything you said about style of play and key players, do you, do you think heart of hearts that they will win a match or do you think they're just going to be a bit like whipping boys of the group? South Africa in 2010. Yeah, exactly. The plan would be to avoid being the whipping boys. If you can get one point, that would be probably much more than anyone would expect. Three points would be a remarkable achievement. Yeah, very unlikely. Very, very unlikely. But it will be interesting to see how effective they can be with Afif and Ali on the counter attack. I think they'll just be too isolated I won't be able to really, really cr- cause a threat against Netherlands and Senegal particularly, but yeah. And David, the Lionesses won the Women's Euros in the summer. Will football come home again? Or are Gareth, Gareth Southgate's England much more lacklustre than the women? Um, short answer, no. I don't, I don't think it's going again. Because I'll be honest, the Lionesses are playing much better football than uh, the Lions are at the minute. Um, no, I think everyone can see that England are bang out of form. They are really, really struggling at the moment. Um, some of their losses have been really bad. Some of the performances have been questioned as well. There's been a lot of, I'm speaking because obviously I'm English, I live in England, and there's been a lot of criticism of Southgate's tactics and, and um, you know, questions over his future, to be honest, which seems like a really surprising thing to say, given you know, that major tournaments historically... He's done quite well. You know, you look at the World Cup, you look at the Euros, they got to the final, they got to the semi-final in Russia. Um, but just recent performances were question whether he's the man to take them forward. So, no, I don't think it's coming home. Um, and I don't, you know, even more so now because we've got big big problems at, at uh, fullback as well, which are obviously really key areas. Ben Chilwell limps off against uh, Zagreb mm-hmm. as well. So that means we're really short at left back. Um, it's just, there's just too many players who you would think would be in that starting eleven, who are out of form at the moment. And 
the thing about England you look at is that the, you know, in some matches they play a little bit like a group of individuals rather than a team, um, which never bodes well for a, a major tournament because you don't get all on the same wavelength, which have to be. It's not, you know, these games aren't friendlies. You can't get away with playing badly and taking a draw and just mm-hmm. accepting it. You have to play well in every single game against every single opponent. So, no, I, I, I think England will still get through to the knockouts, but I don't think it will be easy, and I certainly don't think they'll get to the same heady heights that they did in, in Russia. It does speak to a wider argument, or not argument, just kind of a conversational topic in football at the minute, that European teams are severely underperforming. So yeah. apart from, if you look at the results, apart from the Netherlands, who are, for me, one of the top three favourites to win the World Cup, but they're the only uh, European side in the top three. For me, it's Brazil and Argentina are the other two sides because they are on such excellent form. Their players are playing incredibly well in, in Europe, albeit. But when you look at Germany, which we'll get to later, they've only won one in seven. England as well have been underperforming. There's been questions asked about Gareth Southgate's you know, his, his tenure and whether he will continue after the World Cup and if he's the right man to bring an, a, a trophy home for England for the first time since 1966, the men's. Apologies. So, yeah, I, I do think it's interesting. And I think, again, they, they probably will progress out of the, the group phase as, as they, they, they normally do, but apart, well, apart from 2014. But I don't think they're going to be making waves in Qatar. Brandon, I'll throw to you then on the USA. They didn't qualify for 2018, but they've qualified for this one. Greg Berhalter, who, uh, by the way, you spoke with Crystal Palace, which I found out doing research for this podcast, which is quite fascinating. Played, I think, one, one season for them, but still. He has been getting a lot of criticism. Um, I am not from the US. I don't really follow US football that well in terms of the national team. Is the criticism justified? Will they, you know, what are the chances in the groups? I think with the US, it's kind of a, it's a weird question to ask because when you look at his record, he is essentially the, he has the highest winning percentage of any manager in US soccer history. But the problem with him is just tactically. He'll, we'll go, the U.S. will go into games and the U.S. will maybe lose 2-0 to like Mexico or something. And he'll come out and he'll say, like there was one game in particular I'm thinking of. It was Canada. Lost 2-0 to Canada in Canada. Played terrible. Canada just dominated the whole game. And he, comes, and he came out in the media and was like, oh, you played really well. Tactically, we were the better team. Held more possession. Did this, did this, did this. We just didn't. So it's just, I, I think they should get out of the group. They should. I don't know if they'll win the group. I think England will win the group. They should finish second in the group. Um, that's the expectation. But part of me believes that they're just not going to make it out of the group. I just don't feel tactically. I think the players, the, like if you look at the, the personnel for the squad, well, yeah, so it's sorry, very that, good. That, like, that's what I was going to ask you because yeah. you said about the win percentage and he has the highest win percentage in U.S. soccer history. But the issue with that is this is the best team in U.S. soccer history because there are literally yes. several Champions League winners playing for the yeah. percentage, namely. Yeah. I just feel like tactically, I don't know if we're going to do well at the World Cup. But I feel I, the results, I think, will come. I do think that we will still sneak by, get through the group, finish second. But then I think the round of 16 is like the limit for the U.S. I don't see us getting any farther. I'd be surprised. I'd be pleasantly surprised. But, I mean, you look at the recent results, the last two international friendlies drew 0-0 against Saudi Arabia, lost 2-0 to Japan. So it doesn't really instill much confidence going into the World Cup, considering those were the last two warm-up games before the tournament starts. And then you also think about the last World Cup qualifying game, lost 2-0 to Panama. Granted, all, or no, it was Costa Rica, sorry, but granted, already through. But it's, it's going to be an interesting World Cup for the U.S. They should have been there as well in 2018. There's just the Trinidad. Yeah. The Trinidad thing kind of forced the Federation to just blow it all up and start over. Mm-hmm. Because, like, realistically, you should not be losing to Trinidad. When you only need a point, you shouldn't be losing to them. And rightfully so blew it all up started from the bottom and i mean bear halter will hopefully be looking to prove a lot of doubters wrong um it's just i don't know if like long term he's the solution this world cup we'll see if he does well in the world cup then the opinions could change but it's just i'm not overly confident going into this world cup with the based on the recent form based on the form of some of the players, like Pulisic has barely played for Chelsea recently. And you're talking key player, Weston McKenney's played well for Juventus. He's been a key starter. 
But then the issue with the U.S. is the striker, the number nine. You don't know who's going to play. You would, if this was a year ago, six months ago, you would say Ricardo Pepe would play after what he did with FC Dallas, went to Augsburg, didn't do well at Augsburg. Now he's in the air division with Groningen and doing well. But I still think Jesus Ferreira should start up top for the U.S. Because then you also have like Timothy Weah. Will he play? Hefak as well from Union Berlin. Yeah. And he's he's an interesting one because Bearhalter didn't call him up for the last set of international Mm -hmm. friendlies and everyone was questioning why. Same thing with Brandon Vasquez at FC Cincinnati. He lit up the MLS this season, but he's on the outside looking in. So looking at it now, I think Jesus Ferreira will probably start in Qatar. But that that's the biggest question mark for this team because they the goals will be the main question. Pulisic can chip in, and then you have a Eunice Musa. You have a lot of talented young players. It's just the number nine is has has been the problem for the U.S. for a while now. Like who who the new number nine is going to be? Yeah. Just it's just a revolving door at this point of who's going to play, who's going to score. It's just, that's the main question for the U.S. And well, I mean, if they are to progress into the knockout phase, well, actually, firstly, I'll say. But the last time USA had England in a group was 2010 mm-hmm. South Africa, and they progressed to the knockout phase. Yeah. And then Donovan scored, I remember, last minute goal. Yeah, I can't did. remember. The... Scored, and then Dempsey scored. Uh, yeah. yeah, Donovan. Donovan scored. Yeah. 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 Who was, it, yeah. was, was it uh, Rob Green or Paul Robinson was the goalkeeper? It was Rob Green in goal. Rob I Green. think it was Rob Green. Yeah. Yeah. Flex, yeah. I remember that one very, very well. It's incredible. Yeah, but they were actually talking time. about it, yeah. They were talking yeah. about it on, um, <laughs> for, the Par- for Champions League in the US. It's on Paramount+. Plus. And Rob Green is one of the uh, one of the lead commentators, yeah. and they had um, they had Clint Dempsey in the studio, and they were like <laughs> doing like a whole talk about that. Oh, that's fantastic! It's it's oh, that's brilliant. But if they want to progress to the knockout phase, they will have to get past England. They'll have to get past Iran, who I wrote about myself for the TFA magazine. Carlos Kiros is back in charge, and he has taken over from Dragan Skokic, who qualified Iran for the World Cup, winning 15 out of 18 matches and then was dismissed for losing two friendlies, or for three friendlies, sorry, on a, in a row. Carlos Kiros now has just swooped in and will be at yet another World Cup after being, with, I think, Iran in the 2018 World Cup, Colombia in 2014. This is a man that has just, just breed, lives and breeds tournament football. So in terms of how they can fare I wasn't overly impressed. The two games I watched, they were really poor. I think it was Uruguay and Senegal. They just set up in a four-one-four-one uh, low block. They, I mean, they looked to hit the teams in the break. They didn't really. They kind of just went long and direct, and they didn't really win the second balls. And then they were cut out in transition, and it was just it was just really awful to watch. So I can't imagine Iran will progress from this group. And then we have Wales under Rob Page, who has done an incredible job. They beat Ukraine, obviously, in the playoffs to qualify for the World Cup. They have some wonderful players, notably the four or five-time Champions League winning Gareth Bale, who obviously will be a, a key player from at the World Cup. Wales, probably, alongside USA, are the second favourites to progress from the group, obviously England being the first. So that will be an interesting group. I expect it to be quite close. There are some tough matchups there. So I'm looking forward to seeing All, all the teams in the group. All, all the teams in the group are in the top 20 of the FIFA ranking. So based on that, it is the toughest group at, mm-hmm. at the tournament. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it will be a tight one. Definitely, and I can't yeah. wait. And as I said, you know, I, I hope Iran do well in terms of the, the, the team and the manager. But just from what I've seen in the two games that Carlos Kiroch has managed in friendlies, I wasn't overly impressed, given that they won 15 out of 18 on the Dragons' coach, which is quite unfair. We'll move on to Group C, though. Brandon. Poland, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, and of course, probably one of the favourites, Argentina. How do you see this group going? Well, I mean, starting with Poland, since I wrote about them, Poland are, if if we go back to 2016 at the Euros, that was the big year for them, getting to the quarterfinals and and losing to the eventual champions, Portugal, on penalties. That was That was a good year for them. Then the World Cup came around in 2018, didn't get out of the group. They were, they were favored to at least get out of the group. And that signaled the end for Adam Navalka. He was gone after that. Um, so then they brought in Jerzy Berzczyk. And even though he qualified them for the Euros, like listening to a lot of Polish fans he, and watching the Polish team, he just his football in general was not fun to watch. Yes, the results were there, but it just wasn't. 
it wasn't what the federation wanted. So he qualified them for the Euros in 2020 or 2021. And then he was gone. Then in came Paulo Sosa. And Paulo Sosa brought them into the tournament, didn't get out of the group. Once again, a not, not a good time at all uh, for Poland. And then Szesław Miknowicz came in. And this is an interesting one because he came from Legia Warsaw, where he didn't do well at Legia Warsaw. But the thing with him is he was with the U21 team with Poland and did very well with the U21s. And he knows a lot of the young talent coming through the Polish ranks. And there should be a lot of young talent on display at this World Cup for Poland. He just named, I think it was like a 47-man preliminary squad um, and then cuts down from there. But like, of course, the star is Robert Lewandowski. This is potentially his last World Cup. But... Also, like the emphasis is on young talent for Poland. And when you look at the young talent that could be starting for them, <clears throat> you have Jakub Kiwior from Spezia, done really well for them in, their, in central defense. You got Sebastian Szymanski from Feyenoord, who's done really well in the Eredivisie and in the Europa League. Nikola Zalewski at Roma. Jose Mourinho has trusted him and started putting him into, <clears throat> excuse me, putting him into matches last year. And he's become a key player for Roma. So th this squad is, it's going to be interesting for Poland because with, Le with it being Lewandowski's last World Cup, like likely being it, they're going to want to go out with a bang for him, try to get out of the group. That should be the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal for Poland should be finish second in the group, which if you look at the group on paper, they are likely the second favorite. Mexico could be also, you could put there. Argentina are without a doubt the favorites. Argentina are very likely one of the favorites to win the tournament with the form they've been under been in under Lionel Scaloni. Um, so, but in, for Poland in general, they're probably going to play with a three back. <clears throat> He's been uh Miknowitz since he came in was testing different formations, four, two, three, one, four, four, two. He's finally settled on a three back. And I feel like that's the best system for this side with the talent they have. <clears throat> Chesney is going to start in goal like usual for them. Um, but when you move up the field, it's in the defense where Camille Glick has been a, a rock in that Poland defense now for six, seven, eight years. He will he will continue there. Jan Benarek has barely played since transferring to Villa in the summer, but Miknowicz will probably still trust him. Mm -hmm. And then you have Kiwior, who the third center back spot is the interesting one because you could go with Mateusz Witeska, who's had a great season for Claremont since transferring there. But I feel Kiwior will be the third center back. You move into midfield. Um, Matty Cash and Nikola Zalewski will likely be the two wingbacks slash wide midfielders. It's incredible when you, you name all the, all, the, yeah, all the Polish names that Matty Cash yeah. is at right. The Matty Cash story is great. And he's done really well for Poland yeah. since, since he switched allegiances. Like, he has done really well. And that right back slash right wing back position has been a problem for Poland in recent years with not getting the right person there. And Matty Cash has done well. Gresgors Krakowiak will likely start as well in midfield. The, the question is who starts with him? Because there are a few options there. Um, Zerkowski at Fiorentina has done well. Carol Linetti has done well at Torino. I feel like Linetti will start considering Miknowitz has trust in him when Paolo Sosa didn't. When Paolo Sosa was in charge, Linetti didn't really play much. Uh, Sosa opted for other players. But the front three is where... It, it will be fun to watch for Poland because Piotr Zielinski and Sebastian Szymanski supporting Robert Lewandowski. Now it's possible Miknowitz could go to two up top and maybe just start Zielinski and then put Milik or Piontek next to Lewandowski. But the thing with Poland is, and, and this is what many people have talked about in regards to the last few tournaments with them. They're kind of one dimensional. They, they will just play it long up to the, target which is usually Lewandowski and then see what he can do and the problem is when he has no support in behind or the talent isn't there around him he can't do it all himself so as a result he's not able, like in these big tournaments Lewandowski has barely found the back of the net in the Euros and the World Cup he just hasn't really scored because he doesn't have the support around him so when it comes to like the Nations League recently that was the style they were still going for playing it long up to Lewandowski or whoever was up top and just letting letting the runners get beyond him and then going from there. But Poland are not going to hold possession. 
they're, they're just going to sit back, absorb pressure, hit on the counter, and hope to play along to Lewandowski and see what happens. But personally, they should, in regards to a, they should get out of the group stage. That's like the ultimate goal. I don't think any further than that is possible. It is still likely I don't even make it out of the group because Mexico is a good side. Of course, Argentina and Saudi Arabia is not bad either under Hervé Renard. They essentially have two African Nations titles and he was at the 2018 World Cup with Morocco. I think yeah. he was, I mean, he's been around so many countries and as well with Mexico. Many will know that in the dugout of Gerardo Martino. <laughs> who yeah. was the Barcelona manager in 2013-14. He, he took over tragically after Tito Villanova passed away, unfortunately. Yeah. He was ousted by the club, and then obviously Luis Enrique came, swoop, swooped in and won a treble, but still, he won the MLS uh, Cup, I think, with uh, Atlanta in 2018. Yep. Yeah. So, there's mm-hmm. some decent managers. It's, 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 I mean, the four managers in the dugouts are going to be fascinating. There's some great tactical battles, obviously. Yeah. Saudi Arabia will be the, for me, the favourites of finish bottom, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I yeah, still think it's going to be quite. A... But with Renard, yeah, Renard's good. Mm-hmm. Like he's arguably, you could say, in African football, he's one of the best. He's like the best international manager. He's the the in only history. manager to win two with two yeah, African he, nations, different nations. Yeah, Zambia and Ivory Coast. Yeah, and then brought Morocco to the World Cup, like you yeah. said. So he's experienced and he's he knows what it takes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he has fantastic hair. If you've ever seen him. <laughs> So we'll move on to Group D now. David, you'll take the lead for us on this one. But I just want to say, obviously, one of the teams in the group are Australia, managed by Graham Arnold. The assistant manager is Rene Mullenstein. And I just want to shout out to those who have listened to the podcast. Rene Mullenstein was on the podcast and he was an amazing guest. So I will be rooting for Australia as well in this group. I hope they smash it. He is a truly, truly wonderful coach and I wish them all the best. David, how do you see this group going? Because this is, on paper, I would imagine... France are the favourites, being the holders of the tournament, but they underperformed in the Euros, I want to say. They did underperform in the Euros, and there are some some serious questions over them at the minute, because, um, you know, in terms of, you know, they've got, they've got arguably the biggest injury crisis ever. I mean, I, I noted down, so you've got definite outs, Kante and Pogba, um, and the ones who are currently, you know, got issues, may miss it, may just get there, but at the minute are a bit doubtful. Wesley Fofana, uh, Luca Hernandez, Bubakar Kamara, Rafa Varane, and Anthony Martial. So some big, big names that they're going to be potentially missing. And in the case of Kante and Pogba, definitely missing. So, I mean, that's two of their, their World Cup starting squad side as well, Kante and Pogba. Look at Pogba and Kante. They were the sort of two yeah. sort of sitting holding midfielders that they used. So, yeah, there's some, some big names missing. But um, in the plus, you know, you've got uh, Olivier Giroud, who's, who's in form at the minute, scored twice, created, um, assisted twice in for Milan this week uh, against Salzburg. Um, so he would be a good backup to have for Mbappe. He is, you know, Giroud is 36 now, so realistically he's not going to go on forever. But he's a good backup striker. I think he's only a couple of goals that... away from the record too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. but you, you could use him as a target player, mm-hmm. someone you could aim long balls at and he would be able to, you know, bring it down and, and create opportunities different from Mbappe because Mbappe's obviously a little bit quicker and, you know, a bit more mobile. Um, but the thing about Mbappe, I was listening to the um, EuroLeague podcast on the BBC this morning and they were chatting about Mbappe and PSG and there's big issues there at the minute because uh, Mbappe was under Christophe Gaultier. He's been put in positions that don't necessarily suit where he uh, is at his Yeah, like, like the forward line. How, how dare the manager. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing about Mbappe is he's got so much power at the club at the minute. Um, you know, the, the fact, I think, in his contract, he says he basically gets a say over who the manager is, which just seems ridiculous to me. But anyway, that's PSG, so we're not talking about PSG. But my point is, there's there's questions, there's perhaps disruption uh, that could be caused in the France squad. Um, has Mbappe got a little bit too big? Is he still favourites and the group favours them? You'd expect him to, to win all three of those matches. But, you know, there's, there's certainly things to consider there as to how, number one, how the squad's put together with the injuries they've got. Number two, how they're going to use Mbappe and whether he's going to play at his best, you know, whether tactically he's going to be at his best. Um, so, that, so, yeah, France still the favourites, but they, those are the, the key points I'd highlight with them, yeah. Finton, uh, you are our French football expert. I'll throw to you on France. 
in 2018, there was a massive criticism of the French national side that there were so many players, that I don't know, or so few players that actually played in France. But I want to ask you about this squad. Do you think there's any players that are currently playing in Ligue that could smash it for Didier Deschamps' side? I was thinking he should call up <clears throat> some. Now, in fairness, if you look at the midfield in particular, because that's, as you were saying, uh, guys, that's where they have the big issues at the moment. Uh, there's a lot of question marks over the midfield for sure. You'd probably go Chiumini, um and then someone alongside him. Uh, could be Camavinga, but I, I know it's not been perfect for him in Madrid. Um, at Marseille, I think uh, Valentin Rangier has been having a fantastic season in terms of basically filling in for, filling the role that Camara was playing there before. Uh, he's done it very well. Now, he's very versatile in fairness because under uh, Sampaoli, he was very much like a, a wing back, basically, a lot of the time, but he's become more of a sitting midfielder. So that would be one to watch out for. It's a question whether he even makes the squad, in fairness. But I think it would be one to consider. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, that's where I'd say what the focus should be in terms of experimentation. But as you were saying there, David, it's definitely tricky with Mbappe at the moment at club level. He very much likes to play alongside uh, a, a focal point striker, which is ironic considering he had issues playing alongside Giroud before. So maybe he wants to complain about whatever setup he's in, or I don't know, maybe he changed his mind. But it'll be interesting. I would agree that he should be alongside a focal point striker and come in off the left. But um, yeah, it, it, we'll see what happens. But I'm not feeling optimistic about France uh, for this tournament. And I think it was announced recently that Zidane will take over after the World Cup, whatever happens. I could be wrong, so I should fact check. But allegedly, uh, yeah, allegedly, allegedly. If I'm wrong, you can you know call me out on Twitter. Uh, but that's that's fine. But yeah, no, we'll, we'll see. Valentin Rangier would be one to watch out for. Well, they'll have to get past Denmark, who reached the Euro semis in 2020. They were fantastic on the Castle Human. I remember they were tactically, they were amazing. I think England got a penalty in extra time in order to go to the final. It was, it was very close in the semi-final between the two sides. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they fare again. And then we have Tunisia. This is their, this is their second World Cup, consecutive World Cup. They qualified in 2018. Again, they had England. I remember Harry Kane penalty last minute. Near the end, David, is that correct? I think so, yes. Yeah, I remember that. I think they had a side, I think Wabi Kazri, I remember. I'm not too clued up on too many of their players, but I would imagine that they probably will be the favourites alongside Australia to finish bottom in France and Denmark progress. But I hope I'm wrong and I'd love to see underdogs rising up. And obviously, I hope Tunisia and Denmark and Australia can somehow oust France for top spot. Moving on to Group E, though, and Finton, I'll stay with you. You wrote about Japan for the World Cup preview magazine for TFA. They're in a very difficult group with Spain and Germany. Obviously, Germany, the 2014 winners, Spain, the 2010 winners, and then Costa Rica, who I wrote about recently uh, for their playoff game against New Zealand which was genuinely the best tactical match I've seen this year. No one believed me. It was incredible. There was so many formation changes, and they, they managed to, to beat New Zealand in the end, but it was fantastic under Luis Fernando Suarez, who led Honduras to the 2014 World Cup and Ecuador to 2006's World Cup. So he is a very experienced manager as well. He'll be with Costa Rica. How do you think Japan will fare in a group of titans? It'll be an interesting group, I think. I'm looking forward to seeing how Group B turns out. I feel like one of the, the big ones will drop out in the group, and I, I, I'd I be happy enough to say that because no one will remember if I'm wrong anyway. But <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll link the podcast if I'm right. But yeah, I, I think Spain, I don't know. I, I feel there's lack. They're not, obviously, they're not the Spain that once was when you think of 2008, 2010, that kind of thing. And they definitely lack, I don't know, uh, some Something, something about them. Maybe they're, it's a little bit soon for the group that they have in terms of really dominating the competition. Germany in recent tournaments have just not really been at it. And I feel like with a lot of injuries at the moment, they're not... Um, I don't know. They're nothing for Japan to fear. And I feel like Japan will go at it with nothing to lose. And they very much have that kind of play style. They love to be aggressive without the ball. And they're going to make life difficult for Germany and Spain, particularly in the build-up when they're looking to get out of their own half. I, I see Japan just causing a lot of problems and making a lot of quick transitional attacks, which will be fun to watch. 
with Japan, it's interesting the the squad selection. No Kyogo Farahashi, which is interesting. They kind of went with one recognized striker, maybe two if you count uh, Daisen Maeda, who often plays off the wing. He might be one for the front. And again, they're very much looking for what forwards can offer them without the ball more than what they can offer them with the ball. And same on the wings. The wings will be very interesting to watch because they have a, a lot of good options. Uh, Junior Ito at Rem. I, I, I ran, I wrote about recently, and uh, he'll definitely be one to watch. Um, of course, of course, Matoma at uh, at Brighton as well has really been entertaining this season. And uh, uh, Minamino has maybe not been amazing at Monaco, but has pretty much performed well. Uh, throughout the entire qualification uh, campaign for this manager, so he has a lot of trust. So there are some there are some really good attackers to watch in there. I think they'll be an entertaining one to watch, and I think they will cause problems for Spain and Germany, to be honest. So it'll be interesting to see. They do have problems with scoring goals, and that's maybe again where the lack of a recognised striker in their squad comes in. But they'll be entertaining for sure. I think. And Japan, who are managed by Hajime Moriyasu, he was the assistant in 2018, where Japan did cause quite a lot of damage. I remember that Belgium game where they almost, almost knocked Belgium out in what was mm-hmm. a thrilling match in 2018. Genuinely one of the best World Cup games I've seen in the last decade. It was, it was fabulous. But speaking of Belgium, Brandon, we'll throw to you. You're a Belgian expert. They're in a relatively comfortable group for themselves. But, I mean, in the last decade, we've thrown about that it was Belgium's golden generation. That seems to be coming to an end now. In 2018, Hazard was at the peak of his powers. Now he's, I mean, he, if there's such thing as being at the foot of your powers, he, he is very much there. Obviously, they're in a group with the 2018 finalist Croatia. Slako Dalic is still in charge, although they're not the they're not as impressive as they, they once were. And then they have Canada, who you also speak about, as well as Morocco, who have uh, Valid Regragui in charge. <laughs> And he was only appointed three months ago in very controversial circumstances. How do you see this group going? Do you think it will be a whitewash for Belgium? And how do you think Canada will fare in their very first ever World Cup? I think this will be a fun group because what you said about Belgium, the golden generation, this is essentially it for them. Like This is the last shot. Um, Because you have the stuff coming out, Kevin De Bruyne is saying this could be his last World Cup. Um, this is essentially Belgium's last chance. It is likely Roberto Martinez's last chance too, because Roberto Martinez has done really well. Belgium. The problem is he had them as the number one ranked team in in the world for however many years, but they didn't win anything. They, they have they haven't won. Like granted, what was it? Third place in the World Cup or the Euros? I forget which one it was. I got third place, but he just hasn't. It was the World Cup 2018. They finished. The yeah, Euros. it was the World Cup. France knocked them out in the end. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel with them, it's it's now like, a, I wouldn't say a new golden generation coming in, but there's a lot more young talent now coming through for Belgium. Like I would say Zeno de Bast is the main one at Anderlecht, 18 years old, broke into Anderlecht's first team last season under Vincent Company, has stayed there under, well, Felice Mazu and now whoever else comes in to replace him. Um, so Zeno, and it is likely Zeno de Bast could start next to Vertonghen and Outer Weireld in that back three. Because you look at the other center back options, there's Dedrick Boyata, who has done okay with Club Bruges. Brandon Mekele's done really well with Club Bruges, and he should make the roster. He could even push for a spot. But I feel like with Belgium, they've gotten to the point where <clears throat> this is it for them. Like, this is the last shot. If they are to win anything with this generation of players, it has to be now. Because I don't even think the next Euros is going to be like, going to be the, the end of their window. I think this is. And then, of course, like, Amadou Onana is an interesting one to watch. Um, done done pretty decent coming into Everton, and he will likely play a large part in Belgium's midfield. Eden Hazard's form and fitness has always been the question for Belgium recently. Sorry, not, not to jump in, but actually just speaking of Onana, I wrote an article in September 2021 where I interviewed Hamburg's uh, director of football at the time. Uh, apologies, man. I can't remember his name now. But he's just, just solely speaking about Onana, and he was just transferring to Lille from Hamburg. And he said about how impressive he was, and he was the captain of the under twenty ones, and he's going to be this great player, and he might go to a top side one day. But in twelve months, he was at Everton, and now he's possibly starting for Belgium in the in the World Cup, which is an incredible turnaround. Yeah, like Onana's going to be he's going to be one of the players to watch for Belgium for sure in this World Cup. But like you were saying, Belgium should win this group. 
look on, on paper, they should win it. Croatia could give them a challenge, but like you said, they aren't the same as they were in 2018. Um, Canada are the interesting team because under John Herdman, they have been spectacular. Um, he, he's the first coach actually to lead a men's and women's national team to a world cup because he did it with the Canadian women's national team. He's won two bronze medals with Canada, with the women's team. And essentially the Canadian Federation gave him the reins now to the men's side. He's in charge of all the age groups from the U14s up. So essentially John Herdman is in charge of everything Canada on the men's side. And he's done well. Uh, top the group in CONCACAF, which no one really expected. You, you were looking at the CONCACAF teams. You would have expected them to maybe qualify for the World Cup. You also have Costa Rica who people tip to make it. The U.S. and Mexico were always most people's locks to make it. Canada were just that team on the outside looking in, but they did really well in qualifying, finished top of the group. They're highly organized off the ball and in their clinical and counterattacking moments. So that is what they will look to thrive off of. And of course, they have Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David. Like It's a talented Canadian squad. And Atiba Hutchinson, I think he's like 38 now playing in Turkey, finally getting his chance after being captain for the Canadian team for so long. So that's, that's going to be fun to watch. Um, and in Morocco, like you said, like, yes, Regragui. I think that's I'll, it. I won't edit yours. I'll edit mine. Yes. <laughs> you almost have to stay in. <laughs> yes. But no, um, he's only managed two games, like you said, so you don't really have a picture exactly of what he wants to do. But he won the Moroccan Premier League and the CAF Champions League with Wydad in Morocco. He's brought Hakeem Ziyech back into the fold, which the previous manager didn't want any part to do with Ziyech playing. That, I think, I don't know if that was the reason why he was and fired in the end. But um, Ziyech has been out of the picture for 18 months, essentially, with the national team. So it'll be very interesting to see how, how he fares on his return. Um, in general, though, I think this group could throw up some surprises. I do think Belgium and Croatia are the two favorites to advance. Um, but I, I mean, Canada could pull off a shock. I feel like Canada, if John Herdman has them prepared, because CONCACAF qualifying, like a lot of people say CONCACAF qualifying is one of the toughest things to do just because the places you have to go to and everything like that. So I think Canada could throw up a surprise in this group, but I do feel Belgium and Croatia are likely the two favorites to advance in the end. Yeah, I just, I just think I just want to jump in on Canada because I think actually, you know, people will look at them as minnows in, in this tournament because it's their first one. But actually, they've got the players. You know, they are very, very capable of, of winning a game. You know, you look at, like you said, Alfonso Davis, Jonathan David. You know, there, there are so many players there that actually play in, you know, at a good standard across, you know, different European leagues and, and uh, in America and in you know, wherever. So, so people will look at them as minnows, but actually they should, they should have a bit more respect than that because they do have the players to really trouble those who are like they're going to face. And I just thought, you know, that's a point worth making that, you know, yeah. they, might, they might be the newbies, but actually, if you look at their squad, they're not going to be like Qatar, for example. They're not going to be the ones everyone looks down on. Definitely, definitely. And I can't wait to watch them. Alfie, you wrote about Morocco's manager. I actually remember editing this piece a couple of months back. Can you tell us about how he likes to play? Because for myself, I haven't obviously watched much of Morocco in his three months in charity. So tell us about how that wide outside played in Casablanca. Yeah, so I did report after the, the one of the African Champions League. Uh, obviously, he's only been in charge of Morocco for two games. It's been 4-1, 4-1 both, both times. With Wydad, they were really direct against the strong opposition. They would just let them have possession, and then they would try and work the opportunities. So the striker had to be really effective. Guy in Benza was a striker. He had to pretty much score with all his touches, but he seemed to do it really. It was really, really impressive. Um, and Regrigu has also brought in quite a few of his players into the Moroccan team now, even though he's only had one or two national team uh, breaks with them. So the, the left back is called up, Atia Allah, he's called him up. Uh, Akraf Dari, he had him at wide, but he's since moved on to, to Brest in France. And Yaya Gibran was the pivot player. He was essential to everything they did. And he's also probably going to be the backup behind Sofian Amrabat. Mm -hmm. 
So we'll stay with you now for the next group, which is Brazil. Brazil have a, I want to say a difficult enough group. I mean, Serbia and Switzerland are two excellent teams, especially Serbia. I mean, they'll have Alexander Mitrovic up front, who is one of the most informed centre-forwards in Europe right now. Truly a wonderful goal scorer. I think he is Serbia's all-time top goal scorer now as well, which is fantastic. And then, obviously, they'll have Cameroon in the group. I wrote about Cameroon in the Rigobert song, who will definitely just be the most fashionable man at the World Cup, I promise you. It's incredible. Like, what what a guy. I can't wait to watch them. They have some decent players. Fintan, you'll know about Toko Akambi and Gino Nana. Two really good players in Ligon. And, and, you know, they've guys like Eric Jupomoting, who was in incredible form at the minute for Bayern Munich after being relegated with Stoke City in 2018, which is one of the best upturns in careers I've ever seen in, in recent times. They have players like Frank Zambo and Guisa, who was in incredible form for Napoli as well after underperforming, I want to say, at Fulham in the Premier League. Now he's one of the best players in Syria. They have someone like Andre Onana, obviously, was with Ajax for years and now he's with Inter Milan. Some truly excellent players. I do think they'll be the whipping boys of the group, though, because it's fair. I, I, maybe that's lazy punditry for me because I... From watching them, it's very difficult to gauge the quality of the opposition they're playing. So for the TFA magazine, I wrote about a game where they played Burundi. Uh, Saito Verahino was up front. That was a, a nice throwback for any Premier League fans who believed he would be the next coming of Alan Shearer at one point. But anyway, he was the, the game was very difficult to watch. Burundi really lacked quality. It was a very comfortable game for Cameroon, and it's very difficult to gauge how well Cameroon can fare against a Brazil compared to, you know, their I think it was a one one nil win against Burundi. But Alfie, I'll throw it to you for the next three teams. Brazil, they are one of the favourites to win the tournament, possibly the favourite. They are the tour in the world rankings at the minute. Chiche has yet to win a World Cup. Obviously, they won a Copa America with Brazil, I think, in twenty nineteen. Brazil haven't won a World Cup themselves for twenty years now, which makes me feel very very old because I was. Very, very small when they last won it. I don't remember. Will they win it this time? Is this their best chance in a long time? I think it will be tough to stop them lifting their sixth, to be honest. Um, they've qualified for every World Cup, so it's on. But I think they are actually currently ranked number one, I think, now. So, oh. yeah, definitely are amongst favourites. The qualifying campaign for the World Cup is the best ever in South American history. Under Teach, it's been six years. They've only lost five games out of 76. They're really flexible in possession, eventually getting to a 3 2 5. Uh, one of the fullbacks will join the centre half and the other will go into midfield. Alex Tellers looks to be doing that quite well recently as well for them. Um, it's about maximum width by Vinicius Junior and Rafinha. So Neymar and Piquetta have got space in the midfield. Also, Vinny Junior and Rafinha can receive it, isolate the opponent 1v1 on the fullback. And yeah, that can be really dominant there. And they're starting to control games much, much better than they have previously. That was the biggest stumbling block for them against Belgium in 2018 when they got knocked out. And their press is pretty structured and compact, but still aggressive. They can drop into a low block 4-4-2. But yeah, they definitely, definitely look much better than they have in 2018, for example. And I'd say they are favourites. Amazing. And how about Serbia and Switzerland then? Because as I said, Serbia have some incredible players. Switzerland always seem to be a team that get to the knockouts. Jordan Jakiri scores a world-class goal from 40 yards out and then they'll get knocked out by whoever, Argentina. Yeah, so this would be a third consecutive group stage. The third consecutive time out of the knockout stages because of it in 2018 and 2014. The goalkeeper, Jan Sommer, did his ankle ligaments about a month ago, so it's a bit touch and go whether he'll start. But Dortmund's Gregor Kobel, it's a fine replacement for him. Very often, they attempt long balls. They do struggle to create outside of crosses. Ricardo Rodriguez, the left back, he has a good delivery, so they do try and utilise that as much as possible. Akanji's tidy in possession, and so does Jacker to progress the ball. For Arsenal, Jack is a bit more in the final third recently under Arteta, but he's, he'll be he'll playing a deep role for Switzerland. So that's a will be a bit of a change for him. Maybe might make him a bit less effective. I'd probably say Serbia might just edge them. I feel Switzerland are defensively quite solid, 
but going forward they are very underwhelming. Whereas Serbia ended up three five two, three four one two with with uh, Tadic just behind Mitrovic and Dusan Vlahovic. Um, and Milinkovic Savic in the midfield too. Yeah, so they're, they're really strong from set pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, full width for the pitch with with the wing backs, likewise with uh, crossing. That's a large part of their game. Um, yeah, quite energetic in the press, to be fair, and they do can't press. Mitrovic consistently performs for Serbia, so achievable target for them will be to progress out of the group stage. And as myself and Fintan will know, Ireland played Serbia. I think we drew to them at the Aviva, but we got battered. But well, we, it was three two. But they, I mean, it was very that flattered to deceive. I think Mitrovic tore us apart. I cannot remember for life me the goalkeeper was in there for Ireland. Was it McDermott? I can't remember. <sighs> anyway, yeah, I mean, he was play, he was playing outside the box half the game, and I was I was losing my rag. Yeah, it was. Um, oh no, I do. It was Travers, wasn't it? So was it Travers? I think it might have been. Um, uh, I'm not sure, but Maybe. yeah, no. Mitrovic is, uh, as you said, he's he does always perform for Serbia, and uh, it'll be very much. Uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can if he can propel them. I suppose to the second place. Yeah. You definitely see Brazil coming top, and for me, they'd be my pick to win the tournament just with how they're playing at the moment. I I feel like they're more of a team than you generally see them play so that and I, I love the likes of Paqueta and, and if Gimaraes gets in the team fantastic as well but even Neymar this season has been different different gravy so it's 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 good stuff from them but yeah Mitrovic will be a, an x-factor I suppose for Serbia so good to see and we'll get to watch Brazil versus Serbia again which in 2018 was formed into a rivalry of Neymar was well I, I mean I don't want to say getting kicked around because let's be honest a lot of it was play acting a lot of it was genuinely he was being fouled and there was almost this narrative of it was like Neymar versus Bjorn Kuyper I think was the referee at the time and it became such a a fascinating um, battle between the two and Bjorn Kuyper was almost laughing at him as he rolled around on the floor and you know, theatrics and all the videos emerged, of course, on social media of young kids at academies doing doing the Neymar as they called it, and they would flop to the floor. And what a what a time that was! So I can't wait for that again. I hope Jan Kuipers is still around. I'm not quite sure. I haven't seen him in a while. We'll move on to the last group then, which is Portugal's group, and obviously Portugal will be the favourites under Fernando Santos. With you know, I, I think the overarching theme of this World Cup is it's the end of an era for a lot of players. It may be the last time we see Cristiano Ronaldo at a World Cup, the last time we see Lionel Messi at a World Cup, Robert Lewandowski, Karim Benzema, even Brandon said, Kevin De Bruyne also mentioned it could be his last as well. This would be, you know, there's some incredible players that we may never see again at a World Cup. So let's just enjoy them while they last. Portugal, obviously, are the favourites. Uruguay have a new man in the dugout in Diego Alonso. It's the first time since 2002 that Oscar Tabarez hasn't been in the dugout for Uruguay. And I miss him with his walking stick. He was such a, a cult hero of the World Cup. I mean, what a guy and a wonderful coach. He won't be there, unfortunately. But South Korea have Paolo Bento in charge, who actually managed Portugal in 2014. So a bit of a history lesson for everyone there. And I think Portugal got absolutely smacked around in the fourth game against... Oh, it might not be the fourth game, but I remember Germany gave them a right hiding and somebody slapped Ronaldo on the back of the head it was on the floor and that's my vivid memory of that World Cup Alfie you wrote about Ghana if I'm not mistaken they yeah, have yes yeah, so they have a very interesting manager in charge in Otto Addo who was I think Edin Terzic's assistant at Borussia Dortmund during his time there and he has been yeah, with yeah. Borussia Dortmund for a couple of years he's very a very progressive coach so I'm looking forward to seeing how they fare talk to us about how you think they'll get on in this group and about Addo's tactics Yes, I know I had quite a strange role at, at Dortmund. Part of it was assistant coach. Part of it was about being about. I think it was something to do with like technical, not technical director, but more technical coaching. It was not quite a role that you really see. Uh, he also played in the first ever World Cup in 2006. But compared to what I was saying earlier about Qatar, how they've been so consistent, everything's been the same for a few years now. Ghana is, is the complete opposite. The preparations have been far from ideal. Uh, the man Milovan Radzovic, he was the manager in 2010. He returned to manage them in September 2021. And then he was sacked after an awful AFCON campaign. And that's when Addo came back in. But it's I've had a recent influx of, of uh, what's the best word, to, dual nationals. So Tariq Lamptey, Dennis Adoy, Inaki Williams, They've come into the team now. 
they've added lots of quality, which is what was needed, definitely. And so is Mohamed Salisu, who's he's rejected call-ups to play for Ghana to focus on his club career. And now he's decided for the World Cup that he will come back in. Daniel Amati is probably going to start at the back. And it, it looks unlikely that it will be Salisu. It's probably going to be Alexander Jiku from Strasbourg because they've played together for the last couple couple of years now. Amati's leadership is essential and they are a defensively solid duo. I think the most balanced pairing would be Jiku and Salisu, but that does look unlikely that will that, that they'll get chosen. The Ghana FA are also trying to get uh, Jeffrey Slope and Callum hudson Adoy to to join. We don't know if they'll be successful yet, but definitely talented players. Uh, and just just speaking of that, actually, uh, I, I I did forget to mention is Chris Hewton is the obviously formerly of Brighton and Newcastle and a couple of other clubs. He is the director of football, I think, for the Ghana FA. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. He's involved. That's some setup they have then. I was, obviously, I didn't realise about a lot of the players that have been called up. That's really interesting. They have, a, they have a very good side and I can't wait to watch them. And obviously, I also forgot to mention that this will be the return of Ghana versus Uruguay. The probably the most infamous World Cup moment. Of, well, I don't want to say of all time, but it's certainly one of them. The, the most memorable and the most notorious were, we, I mean, I, need I say what happened? I mean, we all remember Luis Suarez punching the ball over the bar and then celebrating just in the most Luis Suarez fashion possible. How do you think they can fare in the group? Though? Do you think they have a chance of progressing? But yeah, it's Ghana. Ghana. I think if they had a few more months to get the consistency up with the new players, even the consistency with Ado, because he keeps changing from a free. 4-3-3 and a 4-3-1 and a, more of a five mid, more of a five at the back with a down midfield. It's a bit all over the place with him. So sometimes they say you can transition into a 3-1-6 depending on how to play a five. If they play four at the back, then it can get to a 2-4-4, sort of a 4-2-4 sort of system. Mohamed Kudus, exceptionally talented. If they can get him in the right areas in the midfield rather than up front, which is where he's playing for Ajax, if we can get him receiving the ball and able to turn and drive mid, drive at the officers in the fence, then it could definitely be on something. Thomas Party, if I can access him as the pivot player, use him to progress the ball, which he's, he's missed the last few call-ups, actually, so he needs to get back into it. Um, yeah, I, to be honest, I think they just need a few more additional months. Speaking of Kudus, actually, I wrote a scout report on him, I think, for the last... No, not the last... It might have been the last magazine. Apologies, my memories. For a young man, my memory is awful. But he was under Eric Ten Hag last season, was basically like a number 10, mid number 8 as well. He played on the wing. And then Alfred Schreider came in, and he was like, right, you're going to be my centre-forward, because they lost so many... I mean, they lost 13, 14 players, plus their main two, their manager and their assistant manager as well. But Kudus came in, or Schroeder came in, made Kudus a centre-forward. And now I think he's on double digits of, of goals this season, which is incredible. I, I, last season, he scored once. So he's already you know, managed to score tenfold that this season, which is incredible. I can't wait to watch him at the World Cup. Yeah, his, his finishing has been really, really strong. I feel like some of his run-making is quite questionable as a striker. Mm-hmm. And with, with Inaka Williams up top, I think he's better suited to playing as the 10 in the 43-1 or... It, he could be playing alongside party in the deeper role with Andre Ayew ahead of him because he seems to always get chosen. So, yeah. Andre Ayew will still be playing when he's 50 and he'll be playing for Swansea and still be getting called up to the national side. I can't wait. One more cap and then he's the, the most cap. Oh, really? <laughs> that's incredible. Andre Ayew. This is what, that's what they're waiting for. Incredible. Guys, we'll get your final thoughts on the World Cup. David. Who are your favourites to win the tournament? Who are some key players you think, or who are some countries that you think will surprise a few? And who are your key players? Uh, I think my favourites to win it, I, I have to say Brazil, maybe, just because they seem to have this sort of rolling conveyor belt of talent that just keeps coming. And it seems like, you know, every summer there's a new Brazilian talent. So, like, it's Endrick this season, I think, has been linked with Real Madrid. So, it seems to be there's always a new player that's coming along, and that, that I think just serves them well. Having said that, there have been times when, you know, like when they played Germany and lost, I think it was 7-1 or something like that, wasn't it? So, yeah, there's a bit of 
I think um, Brazil have come a long way from the days of Joe and you know all these the wonderful talents they had up front in 2014 and somehow got to the semi-final with the fullest respect I think they had Joe and Hulk in the forward line which is bananas <laughs> long time ago but yeah no I, I think they'll be ones to watch uh, the ones that I think will surprise like I said Canada might surprise um, I think you know Wales might surprise you know they do have a habit of in the major tournaments I know Euro is not World Cup they do have a habit of turning up and, and surprising and getting a few shocks the problem with Wales for me at the minute is the fact that they've got so many players who are injury problems or aren't in form. You know, Bale's barely played at LA. Um, Ruben Colwell's only just coming back. Joe Allen's touch and go. Joe, um, sorry, uh, um, Aaron Ramsey's a little bit on and off. So there's a few players, key players, that you just think they're a little bit touch and go. Maybe that might hold them back. But I still think, you know, they should be worth watching. And Australia, you know, the, the way they play, having written about them in the magazine, they might cause a few problems. They might sit back and frustrate teams. They might be, you know, they're one of those teams that could be really good or could be really bad. So you, just, you, don't, you don't know which Australia is going to turn up. My favourites for the tournament, I'm going to say, are the Netherlands because I would love to see Louis van Gaal go out on a high. After we all know what happened to him the last, I think it was a year or two, we had a battle with cancer. I think he's beaten it now, which is amazing. And he's going to be, it's, it's his swan song. They got to the, oh, he was in charge in 2014. They got to the, semi-finals they lost on penalties to Argentina but let's be honest they had Bruno Martin in, I think it was Martin's Indy in the side with Stefan De Vrij who probably still will go but they I think they, they had um, a couple of other players who are below the quality they have now I'll say at the very least well, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful to them I think now is their best shot in a long long time to take home the coveted tournament so I really really hope they do so Brandon key players your favorites for the tournament and some support for me i would say for me my favorites are actually argentina i think recent form has been really good for them brazil same thing but i'm pretty sure they're still on a record where they haven't lost since like 2019 under Lionel scaloni they just won the copa america over brazil so i personally and their squad is just so talented same with brazil both super talented squad those are probably the two favorites to win it but i think argentina i think um, are my favorites. And for surprises, I think Canada as well. John Herdman has done really well with them. They have a very talented squad, really well in CONCACAF qualifying, which is one of the hardest qualifying paths to do. Um, so I feel like Canada, and I also feel like Ecuador in Group A, I think Ecuador could pull a surprise because I feel like that group, the Netherlands is the mm-hmm. favorite, but I think that second place could be open between them and Senegal. So I think Ecuador could could pull a surprise. And like one player that I'm very interested to watch is Enzo Fernandez at Argentina. Since he's transferred to Benfica, he has been superb. And I wouldn't be surprised if next summer he was at a top European club, top five club somewhere. I think so, it's fair to say he will be. Benfica. Yeah, he, he probably I mean, will. It'll be for 60, 70 million will. in true Benfica yeah. fashion. So yeah, I feel Enzo Fernandez is a definitely a player to watch in this World Cup. I don't know if he'll start. I don't mm-hmm. know if Scaloni will start him, but he will definitely play a part. Alfie, same question to you. And why are Qatar your favourites when they woke up? <laughs> Since you you were so you were so keen on them <laughs> no, in that group. No, no chance. I'm, I'm glad Brandon mentioned Argentina. Hmm. I think it feels like this is the first time that Messi really has a team that can perform to his high standards consistently across all areas of the pitch. Really free flowing, lots of individual talent going forwards, but out of possession the man-oriented system, I think that it, it does suit them really well. The counter-press is nat- naturally really successful because of the way they shape up out, uh, in possession. I'm going to go with a, a negative surprise. I think if there's a recent curse that the World Cup defending champions get knocked out in the group stage. So <laughs> may- maybe France get knocked out in the group stage is, is what I'm thinking. I think two many is vital to them. Progressing through the third. I think without him, that build up can become quite static. Obviously, Griezmann and Benzema and Mbappe are all incredible going forwards. They would have something to definitely say about me choosing them to. You, just, you, you, you don't know what type, type so, of France you're going to get, though, because we all remember 2010. We all remember Patrice Ever throwing the armband into the bush in the training ground. And of course, uh, I am biased and I'm still angry and bitter over the the playoff where Thierry Henry handled the ball and had absolutely no respect to admit that he did it afterwards. 
Anyway, I don't, I, I don't sound better. It was, it was about fourteen years ago, but I, but I, I, I am still better. But then, of course, in twenty fourteen, I think they got to the quarters and maybe semis and got knocked out. Twenty eighteen, they won it, and then twenty twenty two, they again seem to be coming towards the end of Didier Deschamps' reign, where it's like Joachim loves. It's gone a bit stale. If I think it's fair to say. Well, they're playing Denmark in group stage, and they're faced them twice in the UEFA Nations League recently and Denmark beat them twice in both games not playing the best football recently but obviously they have an extremely talented squad that is capable of winning the tournament and overcoming the, the curse Amazing David, Brandon, Alfie thank you so much for joining me today once again you can buy the TFA World Cup Preview Magazine for just €5.99. That's the price. That's actually less than a pint of Guinness in Dublin, in Temple Bar. So please, please buy the magazine. There is some incredible work. The artwork from Jamie Brackpool is, as always, scintillating. I mean, it's, I mean, the guy is genuinely so, so talented. The writing is wonderful. We've had our TFA analysts on here to speak to us about the World Cup and preview it. But their pieces, you can read their pieces in the magazine. The, the work is incredible. It's it's absolutely worth the money. I urge you all to buy it. Thank you all for joining me. David, Brandon, Alfie, again, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next week where we'll have another very exciting guest on the podcast. Goodbye for now. <laughs>